Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sundays, please visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Good morning, everyone, and happy Easter. Great to be with you via podcast this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I hope you've had a great Holy Week, and I'm excited to get into the scriptures with you. But as we open the scriptures, it's honestly with a mix of excitement and hope on the one hand, and also with a sense of sadness on the other. And I think it's okay for us this morning to uh, rejoice in the hope and the power power of the resurrection while also mourning the fact that we can't gather together as one community in one place. But we're going to celebrate from our separate homes this morning as we rejoice in the greatest event in human history and the proclamation that went out that first Easter morning, He is risen. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 20, verse 1, John chapter 20, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, Many of us took time on Friday to contemplate the death of Jesus, which in and of itself is met with a mix of sorrow for what he endured and joy for what he accomplished. But it's worth noting that this first Easter Sunday was met with pure sorrow. There was no mix in the hearts of those first disciples. There was nothing good about the death of Jesus in their eyes on this Sunday morning. Their leader, whom they'd placed all of their hope in, had been arrested, condemned, tortured, and executed. In their view, it really was finished. Most, if not all of them, had disappeared into the shadows and gone into hiding. Everyone stayed put that Saturday, which was the Sabbath day. And then some of the women went to the tomb the following day on a Sunday to put spices on his body. And this is what we read next. This is starting in John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. 
As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Into Mary's pain comes a piercing light. The ground is shaken beneath them. Their world is upended. There's a scene of wild emotions and almost confusion at the tomb. Someone's taken the body. No, surely he's risen from the dead. But why? Angels appear to Mary, but she's still in a state of shock and confusion. Who has taken his body is still the question uh, that's pressed on her heart. And then the greatest shock of all, Mary finds herself face to face with the risen Jesus. And apparently she grabs onto him and holds on rather tightly because he says to her, do not hold on to me, or it can be translated, don't hold me so tightly because I have not yet ascended to the Father. At which point we know Jesus will send the Holy Spirit and they'll be closer than ever before. But for now, Jesus says, go and tell your brothers what you have seen. And so Mary goes from the tomb, the first true witness of the resurrection, and she is the first one to carry the gospel message into the world, which in its simplest form says, Jesus has risen from the dead, and he is becoming king of the world. And she carries this message to her brothers, these other key disciples. But I want us to pay attention to this next section because I think it has everything to say to us in this cultural moment in which we find ourselves. This is picking up in verse 19. It says this, On the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were together with the doors locked out of fear. And it goes on to say that they were isolated, locked behind closed doors out of fear of the Jewish leaders. But I can't help but notice the parallel. Here we are, hundreds of millions of people across the world, uh, locked behind closed doors with many people fearing what's on the other side. And there's this sense that if I open my door, if I go out, I may be exposed to this virus. 
And with that, most of us carry a a subtle mistrust of others. We aren't really sure who we can trust or who uh, we should be close to. And we don't want to really get close to anyone. We kind of eye each other in public. And I think that captures a bit of what the disciples are feeling in this moment. They're isolated. They're sad. They're mourning. They're alone. They aren't sure who they can trust. Their doors are locked out of fear. But notice what happens next. It says, the resurrected Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And I think this is how the risen Jesus approaches us this morning. As a community of disciples, he comes to where we are, into our situation, into our circumstances, through our locked doors, and he stands among us this morning saying, peace be with you. The one who has unexpectedly conquered death and now lives forever comes to you this morning saying these same words, peace be with you. And this peace is not an absence of strife. It's it's more than that. It's the presence of shalom. It's the peace of God that transcends all understanding, that defies our circumstances. Peace to you in the midst of your circumstances. Fear not, he says, for I am risen. And it says that Jesus showed them his hands and his side. He revealed himself to them as the crucified and risen Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In the presence of Jesus, we're given a rich and meaningful peace. Take heart, Jesus says. I've overcome the world. I've overcome death. I don't give you peace as the world gives it. I give you peace in abundance. And not only that, but notice that it's a sending peace. It's a missionary peace. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you with my peace, in my blessing, into the midst of a world at war. In this life, Jesus says, you will have trouble. He says, Father, I don't pray that you would take them out of this world and out of this trouble. I pray that you would give them unity in the spirit. I pray that you'd empower them in your presence to be a sent people. My peace I give to you in the midst of your circumstances. Now go. Be a sent people of peace who also testify to this hope, who testify to the fact that Jesus is risen and he is becoming king of the world. The biblical hope is not that followers of Jesus will escape trials and hardships. In fact, Jesus promises that we will face those things, but the promise of Jesus is that he will empower us with his peace in the midst of them. 
The promise is that the risen Lord, the one who has overcome the world, the one who has conquered death, will be with you. He will never leave you or abandon you or forsake you. And ultimately, the hope of the scriptures is that Jesus will return and that when he returns, he will usher in new creation. He will set everything right again. What is our hope for this life? It's that God is with us, that he has conquered Satan, sin, and death, and that he has overcome the world, and that therefore there is a world of possibilities that open up at our fingertips right here and right now because God is with us. But the ultimate hope that we carry through our greatest trials and darkest hours is that one day Jesus will return to set everything right. In fact, cover to cover in the scriptures, God is pictured as the setting right God, the God who promises to bring about new creation and put everything right again, as it was in the beginning. God's ultimate promise is that one day heaven will come in full on the earth as God returns to rescue and redeem and renew the entire cosmos. That's the hope that we carry. And we get these glimpses all through scripture of creation itself rejoicing when God returns to judge the world because creation itself will be liberated, we're told, from its bondage to decay. The curse will be lifted. Everything will be set right again. And God will be all in all. Psalm 96, Psalm 98, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 55, all of these passages in the Old Testament picture creation itself, the trees, the mountains, the rivers, rejoicing as God comes at last to judge the world. And by judge the world, they don't mean condemn the world, they mean liberate the world, to come and liberate creation. To judge the world is to put everything right again. It's the very thing that we're longing for. It's the biblical hope that we are grounded in. We all know that the world is a mess, but the promise is that God will return to renew the cosmos, to raise the dead to life, and to welcome all who have been saved by his Son to enter this new heavens and new earth. We are waiting for new creation. And this is where the resurrection of Jesus comes in. Because new creation, that future hope that we're waiting for, somehow curiously started on Easter morning. Something happened here on the first Easter that defied the Jewish understanding of new creation. The Jewish people had a framework for new creation and even for resurrection. Uh, The prophets spoke very openly about this. Uh, Most of the people in his day and age, uh, the Jewish people, had put their hope in the fact that the God of Israel would raise them up at the end of the age when all people are resurrected to stand and give an account before God. It was almost uh, taken for granted that God would raise up all people at the end of the age. But what was inconceivable to them 
was that God would raise one person in the middle of this age. That was mind-bending. It broke all of the rules. The boundaries between this age and the age to come were being bent and broken and blurred. Suddenly, in and through Jesus, new creation began breaking into the old creation. That future place that we're waiting for started showing up here. How do we know that we will be resurrected at the end of the age. Well, it's because Jesus was resurrected in the middle of this age. And the scriptures say that he is the first fruits, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's the first fruit to appear on the tree, the first flower to bloom, the firstborn of the resurrection. And he says, if you follow me and place your faith in me, you too will arise. That's the promise. He says, I promise that you will have troubles and trials and tribulations in this life. And I promise that when it's all done, you will arise. And every wound will be healed. And all of your enemies will be done away with. And death will no longer be a reality. I will wipe every tear from every eye and you will be fully restored along with the rest of creation to life and life eternal with God and a life that is more rich and abundant than anything we could possibly imagine in the here and now. That's our future hope. And Easter was the radical announcement of that hope. It's the moment when death was conquered. It's the moment when the powers of sin and Satan are broken. It's the moment when the door to the kingdom is flung open. It's the moment when new creation began. God isn't waiting till the end of the age to start new creation. In fact, he's already begun. What he did to Jesus, he will do to the cosmos. And so we operate with hope in the midst of disease and famine and wars and rumors of wars. We have the peace of Christ as the risen Jesus walks among us, meeting us right where we're at, living fearfully behind locked doors. He comes through and he says, hey, peace to you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. You will have trials in this life, but you will arise. If you follow Jesus, what happened to Jesus will happen to you. And regardless of what you do, what happened to Jesus will one day happen to every square inch of the cosmos. And this has deep and profound implications for how we live day in and day out, for how we live in the midst of the coronavirus. Uh, first off, it means 
that we live with hope over anxiety and fear and all that goes with it. We recognize that the risen Lord comes to us through locked doors in the midst of our tears and our fears and our uncertainty. He offers a peace that the world can never offer. There is a new way of life available to us in the here and now because we are rooted in biblical hope and we recognize the empowering presence of God who meets us in our circumstances. You are not alone. The risen Lord is with you. The God who will one day set all things right is in your midst. And finally, we recognize that because of the resurrection, new creation is already breaking into this reality and that in Christ, we have become the setting right people. The scriptures say that when you place your faith in Christ, the old is gone and you are a new creation. You don't have the renewed body that you'll have in the age to come, but new creation has already taken root in your heart. In fact, your heart is already fit to enter new creation because it is itself already part of the new creation. The new is coming to bear on this reality in and through Jesus and in and through you. You are a recipient of this new creation life. You are a conduit of this new creation life. You are a signpost pointing forward to the new heavens and the new earth on the horizon. You are a a midwife helping to bring forth new life in the midst of this worn out world. Each one of us has a realm of influence. You have your own little kingdom your own sphere of activity. And because of the resurrection of Christ, you have the empowering of the Spirit to bring new creation, breaking into your sphere, your life, your realm of influence, pointing the world forward to the age that is to come. When plagues would hit cities in the ancient world, Uh, where the early church was operating. Oftentimes, the doctors and wealthy and the elite would actually leave the city and flee to safety in the countryside to wait it out. But the Christians would often be found um, heading into the fray, uh, taking care of those who were dying and sometimes becoming infected and dying themselves along the way. Why? Why? Well, in part, they were doing that simply as a demonstration of who they were, of what God is like, of his character. But they were also in the process serving as a signpost pointing forward to the hope that we have of new creation. We are the putting right people who belong to the God who will one day put everything right. And we can get started in the here and the now. We don't just sit on the sidelines and say, hey, don't worry, everyone. We're just one age away from God putting everything right again. No, 
We, we share that hope, of course, but we are also the people who engage meaningfully in the present and start putting things right as a sign of the age to come. We are a people grounded in hope. We are a resurrection people. Strike me down in the here and now, and I will arise. Because of the resurrection, we now stare death in the face and say defiantly, Death, where is your sting? You have been conquered. The tomb is empty. You have nothing left to threaten me with. Because what God did for Jesus on Easter, he will do again for me. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for a dying in our place for our sin, Lord. We thank you that you broke the power of Satan, of sin, of death, of the curse, that you became a curse for us on that day that we call Good Friday, and that two days later on that Sunday morning, Lord, we rejoice that the tomb was literally empty, that you were raised up to life again, that you truly conquered Satan's sin and death, and that because the tomb is empty, we can have faith in the fact, Lord, that one day our tombs will be empty as we're raised up from the dead again, that in the midst of everything that we're going through in this moment, we turn our eyes to you, we set our hope on you, Lord, first and foremost for the age to come, knowing that every single one of us who follow you will be raised up to eternal life. And second, Lord, curiously, counterintuitively, we see that because your resurrection happened in the middle of time, because we are resurrection people, that that future place is now coming to bear on the present. And Lord, we long to be your hands, your feet, your voice into a world that is starving right now for the hope that came to bear on this world through Easter and the empty tomb. Would you walk with us now, Jesus? Would you walk even this morning? Would you come in through locked doors into fearful rooms, into fearful homes, into people huddled in isolation? And would you speak a better word than fear? Would you speak your peace and your presence over us this morning, a peace that changes us, that fills us, and sends us into the world to be your hands, to be your feet, to be your voice, and to carry an unbreakable hope. In Jesus' name, amen.